Thank you, worship team. Uh, hello, everyone. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you have one, go with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 3, New Testament book, the book of Colossians, chapter 3. If you're new to New Life Fellowship, uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here. And at the end of our service downstairs, I'll be downstairs. Some of our pastors will be downstairs as well. And if I've never met you before, uh, stop by and say hello. Now, uh, every couple of years, we focus on a very important part of our lives and our discipleship in Christ. We focus on our work. Uh, what, do we, what do we do and how do we follow Christ into our work? And over the past few weeks, we've been focusing on the various barriers and walls that need to come down. We focus, first of all, on the political walls that need to come down, on the racial walls that need to come down, on the economic walls that need to come down. Uh, today is really our last sermon in this series of becoming the people of God for the city. We don't just want to become the people of God for ourselves, but become the people of God for our city. And the wall that we're going to talk about is the work wall, the work barrier. That for many Christians, there exists a wall that separates our faith from our work, whether that work is paid or unpaid work. Is a wall that exists, and, and so today we're going to talk about what does it mean to uh, intersect our faith with our work. And so today is our commissioning service. We are going to be sending you, and every service today has been a really beautiful, what God has been doing. And it's our way of reminding you that the way that you work and, and, and how you work um, is holy work. That we are sent in the name of Jesus. And, and we are going to be sending you to your workplace. And I recognize this morning that some of you would rather be sent to another job. You're like, could you send me to another job? How's that? I, I get it. Uh, but today we're going to send you, uh, commission you to work differently than the world does. So let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to come. And uh, we'll look at this passage together. Father, thank you for worship. Thank you for the opportunity we have every Sunday to gather together as the people of God here in Queens at New Life Fellowship Church. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us, open our eyes through scripture, that we would be the people of God for our city. And so may your kingdom come, may your will be done. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Uh, when we think about work uh, and our relationship to work, there are five kinds of people and five kinds of people probably in this room. The first kind of person is the person who loves your job. You get up in the morning, you're excited to go to work. You get up before the alarm clock goes off. You get to work early. You love what you do. Maybe you stay late, not because you have to, but because it gives you so much joy to do. I didn't meet too many of those people in the last service, but I know there's some of you out there, you love what you do. That's the first kind of person. The second kind of person is you put up with your job. I mean, it pays the bills. You have some friends at work. Work, and so it's not what you love to do, but uh, you tolerate it because that's just what you have. The third kind of people is you hate your job. I mean, you despise your job, your boss, your coworkers. You hate walking in. Every time you walk in, you feel oppressed. Something's on you, you know. You walk out, you get joy. That's the third kind of person. <laughs> the fourth kind of person is the person that you wish you had a job. You wish you had a job to hate. You wish you had a job to tolerate. You wish you had a job to love. That's the fourth kind of person. The fifth kind of person is the person who's, you're, you're happy to be done with work because you're retired. And you're just happy that that thing is over, that paid work part is over in your life. But no matter who we are on that spectrum, many of us have had a hard time seeing how our faith 
intersects with our work. How what we do on Sunday here, how does that intersect and, and integrate with what we do from 9 to 5, as it were, on Monday through Friday. And so consequently, because we have not received good theology along these lines, there's been a wall that's been built where our faith is on one side, our work is on another, and the two never come together. And so consequently, we approach our work much like everyone else. We're depressed by it, we don't like it, and we don't have any mark of the kingdom of God in us as we actually work. There was an article that was written about what's the most depressing day of the week. And people uh, had a survey and they were asked, you know, what, what are the most depressing, and they came up with four, oh, this reason, why are these four days the most depressing days of the work week? The first person said, a group of people said that Monday is the worst day of the week because all I could think about as the day passes is when will Friday come? When will Friday, who thinks Monday is the worst? Raise your hand if you think Monday is the worst. I see that hand, I see that hand. Uh, Tuesday, some say, is the worst day because you've already had to suffer through one depressing day at work. And then you wake up and realize you have four more to go. Any Tuesdays in the room? Any Tuesdays in the room? Yeah, I see that hand. I see that hand in the back there. Thursday, some say, is because you've worked for a while and it's not even Friday. You're so close to the weekend. It drives you crazy. Any Thursdays in the room? Any Thursdays? I see that hand. I see that hand. And then the last is Sunday because I have to head back to my dreaded job. I had a great time on the weekend. I was playing and now I got to go back to work. Any Sundays here? Any Sundays? Look at the hand. The room is just flowing with Sundays here. No matter who we are though, uh, we have, we, Jesus is calling us to work differently than the way the world works. And this is no small thing. Because the average person, the average American will spend over 100,000 hours in their lifetime at work. And this does not include long commutes. This does not uh, include uh, traffic on the LIE. This does not include any of that stuff. 100,000 hours in their workplace in his or her lifetime. And so we spend a lot of time at work or in work-related activity. And, 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 the, and the sad part about our lives most of the time is that we do not have a theology for our work. We have a theology for many other things, but we don't have a theology for our work. And so our goal this morning is to give you a vision of what does it look like to work differently, to work in a way that it's spirit-infused, that, it is, it, that we, when we live, we, we live with the marks of the kingdom of God in the work that we do. And this applies to all of us in this room and those watching. At New Life, we have uh, an assortment of people in the different roles and careers and vocations that you're called to. For some of us, there's teachers and administrators in this room. There's doctors and nurses and lawyers. There's students and retired folks, police officers, and stay-at-home moms and dads. We have entrepreneurs and sanitation workers, beauticians and accountants and counselors and campus ministry leaders. And regardless of whatever career you have, we are invited by God to approach our work differently. That what happens on Sunday here is to inform and influence what happens on Monday and what happens throughout the course of the week. And so what does it mean to tear down the wall between faith and work? How do we approach our work differently? This is what Paul is getting at in Colossians chapter 3. Paul is getting at this very question in Colossians chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Says, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it 
not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. When we pick up in this passage here, uh, Paul is writing to a church that has been influenced uh, with some dangerous teaching. And this teaching had an impact on the way that they approached their work. And so Paul is writing, this is why Colossians begins with the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is the firstborn over all creation, that in him everything holds together. He is before all things, in him all things hold together. Paul, from the onset, talks about the supremacy of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord not just over the church, but he is Lord over the world. And so by the time Paul gets to chapter 3, he is now unpacking that theology. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? The fact that Jesus is Lord has a lot of implications and applications for the way we live our work week. And so Paul starts with the supremacy of Jesus, chapter 1. He starts getting now to the nature of our work. And the reason why Paul writes the way he does is because the church at that time was being influenced by a particular teaching that would later be known as Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is this, uh, this philosophy that believes that God is good, but whatever is created is evil. Whatever material world we see is evil. And so the, the role of the Gnostic, uh, which means knowledge, is to rid yourself of all material things so that you would have a knowledge and experience with God. And so anything pertaining to sexuality, anything pertaining to work needs to be shed so that we can have this uninterrupted communion or, as it were, an experience with God. Paul writes to this church and says, no, that does not reflect the reality of what it means that Jesus Christ is Lord. Because the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord is not, he's not Lord over an immaterial existence. He's Lord over a very material existence. And because of that, your work matters. And so some Christians in the church are probably avoiding work. Well, they were probably working in a way that their heart was not in it. They were not integrating their faith in Christ with their work. And so Paul hears about this bad theology. He hears about this bad teaching. And he tries to reframe what does it mean to live out the reality that Jesus is Lord in your nine to five. And Paul lands on this passage two things that I want to offer. In this passage, Paul says, first of all, that your work... Is part of your worship. That your work is part of your worship. In verse 23, Paul says, Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Now, in this passage, Paul is talking to slaves, and we tend to have an image of slavery because of uh, our history in this country and our history in the West. But when Paul writes about slaves, he's talking really, as we would understand, in employer-employee relationships. Some scholars have said these things about slaves here in Paul's time, that slaves, there was nothing about them that would outwardly distinguish them from free people, not in race, speech, or outward appearance. That slaves in ancient times, when Paul is writing this, uh, were often well-educated, that they could marry and gain wealth, that very few slaves were slaves for life, that some slaves could run 
a business. And so this text serves as a good parallel for us in that the slave in the, in the ancient times where Paul is writing would be more like an employer-employee relationship in our day. Even so, they had a very challenging job. And yet Paul says, whatever you do, do it as an act of worship. Now, for many people, because we have not experienced and received good teaching as it pertains to integrating faith and work and really knocking down that wall that separates them, we fall into two extremes as it pertains to our work. For many of us, we fall on the side of demonizing our work. Like Satan is at your job, you know? It's just like your boss is the evil one, you know? And so we demonize our work in that our work serves as an obstacle to keep me from worship. Like you had a great time worshiping God, and then you walked into the building, and then something happened, and just like there's something here that's keeping. So we either demonize our work, and our work keeps us from worshiping God. The other end of the spectrum is that we divinize our work. That, and by, by that I mean that your work becomes your primary identity. That you are, I, your, your primary identity is taken by what you do and by how much you make and by the nature of, of, of your career and the things that you're able to secure because of what you do for a living. And so we either demonize our work or we divinize our work. And in many respects, when we divinize our work, a lot of it comes out of even our normal conversations, the priority that we put on our work. And so when we introduce ourselves to each other, typically uh, people say one of the first questions we ask is not, where are you from? It's not, who is your mother? It's not, who are you related to? It's not, tell me about your family. One of the first things we ask is, what do you do? What do you do for a living? And it's our way of, of, of posturing ourselves and comparing ourselves to another person at that moment because we often divinize work. That work becomes our primary way of identifying ourselves. But Paul is saying that's not the case. Work is not to be an obstacle of worship, and neither is work to be the place where we secure our identity. Our workplace is to be worship space. And so Dorothy Sayers uh, an, an author says it this way, that let the church remember this, that every maker and worker is called to serve God in his professional trade, not outside of it. You're called to worship God and serve God inside your profession, through your profession, not outside of it. And so because we are called to worship God through our profession, we need to be rooted in God. Which is why we need a vibrant prayer life, which is why we need a life with God, rooted in God, because you have to fight so many things at the workplace. You have to fight boredom and office politics and, 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 and condescending supervisors and the kind of work that you really don't want to be doing. So you need a life that's rooted in God so that your workplace becomes worship space. And by worship space, I'm not, I, I just want to be clear here because um, I, I'm all for evangelism at the workplace. I'm all for it. Uh, but that's not just what we do at the workplace as Christians. It's a real sad picture when Christians are evangelizing and then doing a poor job at their job. <laughs> that is not the example we want. And I've told this, but either we, are, we, either we are shy about our faith or we shot out our faith in the job. Either no one knows you're a Christian 
hiding your Bible and everything, or everybody knows you're a Christian. And we come to the point like, oh, there goes the Christian, you know? And so it's, it's not about just evangelizing, although do, as, do the evangelism, but it's also about the quality of the work that we do. That we just don't evangelize, we come to work on time. Amen. We come to work on time. That we do the work. And so our worship, our workplace is to be our worship space. Paul also says this, though. Not that your work is just part of your worship, but Paul also gets this idea that and at New Life, what we call that your workplace is full-time ministry space. Your workplace is full-time ministry space. In verse 24, Paul writes, it is the Lord Christ you are serving, you are in ministry to. And with this sentence, Paul is reframing and rethinking this church in Colossae that they've totally ignored their jobs. And he's saying that how you perform your tasks and how you supervise people and how you interact with others is to be an act of ministry. Every task we undertake, whether paid or unpaid, is part of being in full-time ministry. Now, that's an important phrase, especially in church world, because in some uh, uh, subgroups in the church, we hear phrases like this. I can't wait to quit my job so I can go into full-time ministry. And what we say, at, we're trying to ban that phrase at New Life. Like, like That's like heresy to say, I'm not in full-time ministry because I don't work for the church or I don't work for a parachurch organization or I'm not a Christian counselor. And we say, I'm not, no, Paul is saying, if you are a follower of Jesus, and you've been marked by Jesus, everyone is in full-time ministry. No matter what you do, you are in full, there's no sacred secular divide. There's no, some works are holier than others. Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that. We are all full-time ministry workers. And this doesn't mean, uh, people are saying, Pastor, does this mean I have to stay at this ministry every day? For the rest of my life, it doesn't mean you have to stay at the job the rest of your life. If you can find meaningful work and something that you're more passionate about, go do it. But as long as you are there, you are called to exercise in full-time ministry. Now, we need a, a good theology for this. And I was reading Dorothy Sayers. I just quoted her. Another quote that stood out to me this week, that the church's approach, typically how the church approaches our theology as it pertains to work is this. We don't approach it. And so as she says it, the church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually confined to exhorting him uh, not to be drunk and disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. In other words, what we typically tell people is, to, we don't have a theology for work, don't get drunk, don't do anything crazy, come to church. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. Quality of what you do and what you, whatever it is, the first demand on your life is to work in such a way that brings glory to Jesus and bears witness to his kingdom. And so Paul is saying, Jesus is Lord, not just over the church. 
Jesus is Lord not just over our souls. Jesus is Lord over the city. Jesus is Lord over the country. Jesus is Lord over the world. And because Jesus is Lord over all this, every facet of our life is important. And we manifest the reality that Jesus is Lord when we live in this particular way. He's Lord over the medical industry. He's Lord over the business industry. He's Lord over education. He is Lord of everything. And as I said it before, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. He's Lord of all. And so listen, if you are an accountant, you work with numbers differently as if you are doing Jesus' tax returns. If you are a barber, you cut hair differently like you are giving Jesus a shape up, like you're working with Jesus' hair. If you're a car salesman, you sell that car with integrity like you are selling it to Jesus. If you're a construction manager, it's Christ's home that you are building. If you're a sanitation worker, you pick up the garbage that fell out the can because it's Jesus' street you are cleaning. If you're an educator, Christ is your principal. If you're a dentist, it is Christ's teeth you're working on. If you're a musician, you play to give Jesus joy. If you're a counselor, you are mindful that the broken person who walks into your office is a picture of the broken and bruised Christ. If you're a waiter, you go the extra mile. Because Jesus is the one you are serving. If you're a student, you study for Christ, not for your parents, not for grace, but because you are to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are different than the world. We work different. We approach our workplaces different. We are salt and light. We are sent by the king. We are in full-time ministry. And so what does it mean that we are in full-time ministry? At New Life, we narrowed it down to four things. What does it mean when I go to work tomorrow, what does it mean that I'm in full-time ministry? We've narrowed it down to four things. The first thing that is ultimately that you are, I'm called to work for Christ because he is my ultimate employer. Someone might cut your checks, you might get paid through a particular organization, but ultimately Jesus Christ is your employer. And so the way, the joy that we take into our workplaces, the life we take into our workplaces is a reflection that I'm doing this because Christ is my ultimate employer. The other day I was driving and going to the Bronx and uh, the Whitestone Bridge and had to pay the toll. And uh, it feels like the tolls go up every other month, it seems. And, and I, there was a little uh, delay there. Someone had to, uh, you know, uh, an officer had to fix something there. And so I was by the, the toll booth lady here. And she must have been a Christian. She had, the, she had the Christian music going on, and she's just singing, and she's blessing everybody as they can. Like, bless you, and have a blessed day, and have a blessed day. And I thought either she just won lotto, and this is her last day working at the toll booth area, or she has a good theology of work that Christ has sent her to sit in that toll booth. That every person that stops by, she's offering blessing over them. And I came back on the other side to just go, and she wasn't there. Some other guy was there, and he, was, he looked upset that I came by. Like, Harry, just hurry up, bro. Just hurry, just, just hurry up. Man, bless you, brother. You know, just hurry up. Just get by. But she worked as if Christ was her ultimate employer. It's a sense of joy. And, the, and listen, and that's not an easy job. 
And, and what you do, the work that you do, it's not an easy job. But yet, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can go into our workplaces different. Different than how the world works. To be in full-time ministry means that we are called to create and shape order out of chaos. That you are called to create and shape. That where there is unhealth in your organization, your team, God sends you there to create order out of chaos. And whether it be interpersonal chaos, emotional chaos, this is why we talk so much about equipping you with emotionally healthy skills and emotionally healthy relationships so you can be sent into the workplace offering a different kind of being in the world. We are called to create that which does not exist, to shape that which is out of order, creating, shaping order out of chaos. God sends you there to create and shape. So when you're organizing, uh, I, I recall when one of my first jobs, and, and thankfully I, someone gave me a theology of this at an early age. One of my first jobs was to, uh, an office services. And I, my job was inventory. How much staplers we have and how much, uh, you know, uh, file folders we need, legal and letter and manila folders. That was my job to do that. And someone said, the way you work, the order you create is a reflection of the king. I'm saying, but it's just staples. You know, no, 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 it's just a stapler. I'm just, no, the way that you organize that stapler, the way that you do your inventory is different than everybody else. And so th- my office area, that space was neat, order. When someone walked in here, I was like, the kingdom of God has come into my department. Manila folders, you got it. Legal folders, I'm here for you. You know, it was just right there for the way we approach our work is to be different. We create and shape order out of chaos. We work, uh, to to be in full-time ministry, we work for the shalom of the workplace, for the flourishing of the workplace. Cornelius Plantinga, this theologian philosopher, says that word shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. The way things ought to be. When Christians come into a workplace, when Christians check in to work on Monday mornings, we are to be bringers of delight and wholeness. We are to work for shalom. And to be in full-time ministry ultimately means that, that we work with a rhythm of rest and work. That we don't live with the idolatry of our work. That Jesus Christ identifies you, not your work. Your, your identity is found in the love of God, not in the level of your paycheck. Not in what you can do with it. And so we rest. We step aside. We stop. We rest. We delight. We contemplate. We keep Sabbath saying that this does not control my life. And all of us are in full-time ministry. And so when we have a service like this, every time we commission you, we invite people to stand up. And it's our way of recognizing the dignity of what you do. It's our way of affirming that you are participating in the life of the kingdom of God, not just on Sundays when we gather together, not just in small groups when we study together, but you are participating in the life of the kingdom of God when you work and how you work. Therefore, we are to be different. And so I'm going to go through a list of professions and vocations and careers. And every other year or so we do this. And it's a way of recognizing who's in the room. Our way of saying we see you. That you are called and sent to work for the goodness of the kingdom of God 
in our city. And so I'm going to go one by one by different professions. And when your area of work comes up, I want to invite you to stand. And just stand for a moment. And what we're going to say together, the rest of us, we're going to say, we see you. We, we see the work you do. And God sees the work you do. And God is sending you into the workplace. And we'll hold our applause to the end. We'll, we'll clap there. But we just want to have a moment to just see, see who you are. And the nice thing about this is some of you might work in a similar profession. It, great, it creates a great opportunity to potentially connect um, in the life of our church here. And so let's begin. And those watching online, if your profession comes up, stand in your seat wherever you're at. God sees you, okay? I, I don't see you, but God sees you. And so first of all, if you're in business, if you're in management, if you're in accounting, in finance, engineer, I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see you. You may be seated. If you are in healthcare, medical profession, dentist, MD, nurse, therapist, research, I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see you. You may be seated. If you're in education, a teacher, administrator, support staff, security staff, I want to invite you to stand. Together, we see you. If you are in social services, you're a counselor, a social worker, nonprofit, I want to invite you to stand. Together, we see you. If you're in the service or retail industry, concierge, waiters, food, restaurant service, custodian, beautician, I want to invite you to stand. We see you. You may be seated. If you're a city worker in the government, sanitation, police, firemen, firewomen, uh, transit, uh, postal, administrative, military, I want to invite you to stand. Together, we see you. If you're a construction, trades, a builder, a carpenter, electrician, I want to invite you to stand. Together, we see you. If you're in the arts, in theater, movies, painter, writer, uh, music, I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see you. If you're a student, junior high, high school, college, grad school, post-grad, post-post-grad, post-post-post-grad, <laughs> I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see you. Do your homework tonight. Uh, sales <laughs> and related occupations. If you're in sales or related occupations, I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see you. If you're in transition, you're in between careers right now. You're in disability. You're changing careers. I'd like you to stand. Together, we see you. 
If you're retired, I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see you. The retired folks always get the round of applause. It's like, <laughs> we're so envious of them. If you're a parenting, stay-at-home mom, stay-at-home dad, uh, I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see you. If you're in transportation, if you're a driver, a pilot, airport, subway, bus, I'd like you to stand. Together, we see. If you're in church or parachurch work, uh, college ministry, uh, campus ministry, I want to invite you to stand. And together, we see. If you're in the legal profession, lawyer, public defender, paralegal, office staff, I'd like you to stand. And together, we see. And lastly, if you're other, I mean, if we couldn't just find you, I mean, just other. I want to invite you to stand if you're just other here. And together, yeah. And together, we see you. Amen. Let's put our hands together for everyone in the room creating and shaping in full-time ministry. Let's all stand together. I want to invite the folks that are going to be offering, uh, commissioning you, as it were, to come to your respective areas. And uh, what we're going to do, and what we do every couple of years or so, is we invite you to come forth and we, we send you in the name of Jesus. And the way we do that is in two ways. First of all, we're going to be, you're going to get a card that says a full-time ministry ID. Now, this doesn't get you free parking at the hospital. This doesn't make you like, uh, uh, you don't say, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a pastor here, you know, just... It, and it says those four things, uh, what does it mean to be in full-time ministry? If you already have a car, throw out the other one. Get a fresh one, all right? Um, but what, where you're going to come off to your respective areas here, and those watching online, there's an area you can download a link, so you can download that card as well, so you can participate in this service here. And folks are going to come. You're going to walk up. The ushers will lead you, and they're going to give you a card, and they're also going to anoint you with oil on your forehead as a sign of the Holy Spirit's presence and power in your life. There's a passage. Uh, do you know that the first person to be anointed, to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible was not a prophet, it was not a priest, it was not a king. The first person to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the Bible was a craftsman, a craft, someone who was on a nine-to-five kind of job. It says, the Lord has chosen Bezalel. He has filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To set stones and work. Listen, and some of us today, when we, when we anoint you with oil, I believe the Holy Spirit wants to impart into you wisdom, understanding, knowledge, with all kinds of skills. That when you're sent tomorrow, you're sent in the power of the Spirit. Because you, are, you, because you belong to Jesus. 
and Jesus is Lord. And so the ushers will lead you, you'll, you'll get anointed and go back to your seat, and then I'll close our gathering together. And so, Lord, thank you for this opportunity, this time where we can be sent to hear the words, you are sent in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to bear witness to the life of your kingdom in our nine to fives. And may our city flourish because you have called us and sent us into the world. So we offer this portion of our service to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Come forward. Amen. I want to invite our prayer team to come to my left. We have the Lord's table to my right. <clears throat> and so you can take the bread and dip it in the cup, knowing that Christ was broken for you so that you may participate in the wholeness that has come through his death and resurrection. For some of you in this room, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never... Uh, received his love in this way, and our prayer team uh, will be to my left. Maybe you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, calling you by name to live in that love and that peace. Uh, our prayer team would love to pray for you here. And we have the Lord's table to my right. Eddie, our community uh, life resident, starting today, he's going to be downstairs in the yellow room or in the lobby area. So if you're a young adult or live in the Forest Hills, Rego Park area there, just stop by to say hello to him. But as we close, I want to invite you to open your hands uh, towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're watching online as well, you might just want to open your hands uh, in this way. At New Life, we close every gathering like this because it's a sign of receiving. And you cannot give what you have not received. And God wants you to give out love, but how can you give out love if you've never received love? Especially the divine love that comes in Jesus Christ. And so with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you. May he shine his face upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit. May you walk into your place of work tomorrow in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that Jesus Christ has sent you that his hand is upon you, that you are anointed to do work different than everyone else, that you are called to participate in the life of the kingdom of God that's available. And so I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Grace and peace, everyone.